Is it my turn? We're supposed to do a song. Okay, so let's. My hope is built. Can we do a song? Now it's my turn. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Our scripture today should be found up on the screen in a second. I would like to read this together. It comes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Let's do this together, please. That's right. The time is coming when I will make a brand new covenant with Israel and Judah. It won't be a repeat of the covenant I made with their ancestors. When I took their hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, even though I did my part as their master, God's decree. This is the brand new covenant that I will make with Israel when the time comes. I will put my law within them, write it on their hearts, and be their God, and they will be my people. They will no longer go around setting up schools to teach each other about God. They'll know me firsthand, the dull and the bright, the smart and the slow. I'll wipe the slate clean for each of them. I'll forget they ever sinned, God's decree. This is the word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. And may God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Amen. Be ready. The time is coming. God's decree. When I will plant people and animals in Israel and Judah, just as a farmer plants seeds, And in the same way that earlier I relentlessly pulled up and tore down, took apart and demolished, so now I am sticking with them as they start over, building and planting. That is Jeremiah 31. I'm sorry, this thing is annoying. I feel like Britney Spears up here, and I don't love it, but we're going to make it work. (laughs) Um, This is Jeremiah 31, verses 27 through 28 found in the message. We, friends, are in transition. And I'm struggling. I'm struggling to stand before you right now and to give the word in a corporate setting. Because the church that I know and love is about to cease to exist as I knew it. The church that raised me, the denomination that taught me, that gave me the opportunities that I have had, that has built the ministry that I love so dearly. And I have been struggling for a long time. And it seems like the closer we get to the vote the worse it is. But this week, 
I was refreshed. I was refreshed by Asbury, believe it or not. This, it's, so, it's not crazy how this is all tying together, this whole service, because that's God. But Asbury is changing lives, friends. I have a friend, dear friend, who works at the inn at Asbury, and his posts, he's a, he's a, a minister's kid, his posts are amazing, the photos of the people, and I'm not just talking about college-age kids, I'm talking little babies, to folks having to be pushed in wheelchairs, some transported by ambulances on a stretcher to be there. If that isn't transfiguration, I don't know what is. And trust me, my sermon has nothing to do with transfiguration Sunday. I didn't even know what was going on. (laughs) But in the midst of the struggle and in the midst of wondering what is next, I have found myself sitting with an old friend. And I'd like to introduce you to my old friend, Jeremiah. And no, I'm not talking about the bullfrog. I'm talking about the prophet. I'm talking about Jeremiah the prophet. And I want to give you just a little bit of background on my friend, Jeremiah. He lived in the final days of the crumbling nation of Judah, He was appropriately the last prophet that God sent to preach to the southern kingdom. God had been warning them. He had warned Israel over and over and over again about their ridiculous behavior. But they would not listen. So God tore them apart. And then God sent Jeremiah to give Judah the very last warning before he cast them out, decimating the nation and sending them into captivity in Babylon. Now, Jeremiah was a faithful, God-fearing man who was called to tell Judah that because of their unrepentant sin, because of their just ridiculous behavior, their God had turned against them and was now prepared to remove them from the land at the hands of a pagan king. Jeremiah, no doubt, had this great inner turmoil. He was roughly 17 years old when he was called to do this. Now listen, I don't let a 17-year-old tell me what to do. Do I? She's not 17 yet, but we're close. Would you? Would you let... A teenager tell you what to do? To warn you that God is coming to make big changes? It would be a hard pill to swallow. Jeremiah was so internally conflicted. He begged them to listen. These were his friends. These were his people. And he begged them to listen. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because he cried tears of sadness. Not only because he knew what was going to happen, but because no matter how hard he tried, people wouldn't listen to him. Furthermore, he didn't have human comfort. 
God had forbidden him to marry or to have children. And his friends turned their back on him because seriously, dude, what are you talking about? You're telling all these people that the world's going to end as we know it. I don't want to be your friend. So along with the burden of the knowledge of impending judgment, he was very lonely. And God knew that this was the best course for Jeremiah because he went on to tell him how horrible conditions would be in a very short time with babies and children and adults dying horrible deaths, their bodies unable to be buried, their flesh devoured by birds. I know it's it's gross, but it's the truth. And the people of Israel had become so hardened by the numbing effects of that sin that they no longer believed God. What are you talking about? Yeah, right. That's not going to happen. And they didn't fear him. Jeremiah preached for 40 years, and not once did he see any real success in changing or softening the hearts and minds of his stubborn, idolatrous, ridiculous people. The other prophets of Israel had witnessed some successes for a minute, but not Jeremiah. He was talking to a brick wall. However, his words were not wasted. They were pearls being cast before swine. And they were convicting every person who heard them and refused to heed the warning. I feel like Jeremiah is a lot like I am right now. If you go on to read, and I encourage you all to find as much commentary or Google who is Jeremiah. Because he's, he's a cool dude. And I think he's a lot like me. I think he was a lot like maybe some of you out there. He became discouraged. He sank into this low spot, a depression maybe, where many believers get stuck when they think their efforts are not making a difference and time is diminishing. Jeremiah was emotionally spent, even to the point of doubting God. Been there. Hi. Been there, done that too many times. But God was not done with him. He was not done with him at all. What we can learn from the life of Jeremiah is the comfort of knowing that just like every other believer, even great prophets of God can experience rejection, depression, and discouragement in their walk. It's a normal, normal process when we're growing spiritually. (laughs) Jeremiah was given the task of delivering an unpopular, convicting message to Judah, one that caused him great mental anguish, great heartbreak, as well as making him despised in the eyes of his people. God says that his truth sounds like foolishness to those who are lost. But to believers, it's the very words of life. He also says that the time will come when people will not tolerate the truth. Those in Judah, in Jeremiah's day, did not want to hear what he had to say. And his constant warning of judgment annoyed them. This is so true of the world today. As believers who are following God's instructions are warning the lost and dying world of impending judgment, 
Even though most aren't listening, we have to persevere in proclaiming truth in order to rescue some from the terrible judgment that will eventually come. Now, when we get into our scripture today, just a little bit about my friend Jeremiah there. We're, we're friends. But if we get into our scripture today, I want to back up and pick apart verses 27 and 28 all the way through 33. Because God tells Jeremiah to tell the people, right? God tells Jeremiah to say, be ready because the time is coming. When I'm going to plant people and animals, just as, as farmers plant seeds. This verse is so huge to me this week because if you watch Asbury, if you read the accounts, if you see the posts and the, the Twitters and the TikToks and whatever, if that's a thing, you see that it started so small. It was a seed planted. And now thousands come to worship. They're not coming to worship because they're in a building. They're not coming to worship because there's great music, because there is no music except for the music that people bring. They're not coming because there's a bulletin that they can read from. They're not coming because there's a Bible in every seat. They're not coming because the altar is decorated beautifully. They're coming because they want him. Because they're tired of the way the world is the way the world is telling them to believe, the way the world is forcing them to live by rules. Now, back in Jeremiah's day, when laws were written, they were written on stone and sometimes parchment. Well, what happens if you drop stone? It breaks. What happens to a piece of paper over time? Jeremiah's people were doing this. What rules? What laws? What are you talking about? I have no need for them. Oh, this is going to step on people's toes. I'm sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. Ooh. And I think about our situation here today. The UMC's situation. Where our laws are written in a book. Now, okay, it, this is a really old one, everybody. Don't worry. I'm not going to, like, tear it to shreds. And some people are saying, to heck with the book. See that page there on following the rules? I'm going to rip that right out, tear it up, throw it away. And it's so easy to get discouraged by that. 
I have always believed the church is no place for politics. But here we are. Here we are, politically divided, the left and the right. And the minority is being forced out. And sometimes, oh, not sometimes, every day is so discouraging. Because what I want, and maybe you do too, is I don't want to be left or right. I know what the Bible says. I know what God has told me. But all I want is that. I want him. Asbury, Asbury is such an amazing moment to be witnessing because we are seeing people say to heck with this to heck with this don't tell me what to worship or how to worship just tell me how to get him and if I can't get him here or here or there I'm going to find a spot to get him on my own. Guys, I know that as our vote gets closer, right? Next week's a big day. Maybe you are feeling like I am. Maybe you're afraid of what this is going to look like moving forward. Maybe you're afraid of leaving that book behind, those laws. But remember, they're written on paper, in a book. And honestly, the only book that we need is in your pews. If you are feeling like I am, go talk to my friend Jeremiah. Because God is preparing something so big for us that I can't even wrap my brain around it. Y'all are not going to be able to wrap your brains around it. Right? He is taking all of these things that I ripped up and threw down. And he's building a new covenant. And that new covenant is about to be written on our hearts instead of on stone or paper or in books. Jeremiah is telling us that God put his commandments, his love, his grace, his mercy, his laws inside of us so that we know, we know what is right, what is wrong. So that we know that he sent his son. So that we know that his son died on a cross for our sins. So that we know that our worship matters, be it in this building or on a softball field or in the middle of nowhere while you're driving a tractor planting seeds or driving to work or sitting in a hospital. Our worship matters. But this new covenant that God is sowing, it's not, it's not just for us. It's for those babies back there. 
It's for, and this is, this is not ageism. This is for the oldest among us and everybody in between. But if you take a look right now at just a snapshot of the moment that we are having in this country, and you look at Asbury and you see how many people are there wanting Jesus. They don't care about the corporate worship. They don't care about the music. They don't care about the bulletins and the politics and the he said, she said, and what is written on paragraph 334 of the Book of Discipline. They don't care. They want that. They want him. And that should get you so fired up and so ready for what God has for us that you can't sit still. You can't stand behind a pulpit. You can't write a sermon. It's pretty much everything that I've done all week. I've written and thrown it away and written and thrown it away. Do I have my iPad right now? Nope. God is talking to us. If only we take the opportunity to listen and wade through the stuff. We wade through the committees and we wade through the decision making and we wade through the paragraphs and we wade through the book and we wade through all of the stuff that gets in the way of us and him. He's talking to us. He's writing his promises. He's sowing a new covenant, a new promise for us, for you, for you and you and you on our hearts and not in an e-book or stone tablet or piece of paper. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. You don't know. We don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But from here on out, I'm choosing 100% to listen to what God has in store for us, for me, for my family, for this church, for this community, for this denomination, for both denominations. That's God's decree. I want to close today by sharing with you Jeremiah 31, verses 38 through 40. Also from the message. I I just love the message when I am in need of a two-by-four upside the head. Like when I'm just not hearing what God wants me to hear, I open up my Bible to the message. And I encourage you to do so as well. I mean, it's not always always, uh, King James or NIV that gets you. But the message is so plain text. It is so layman's terms. It is so two by four upside the head that you can't deny the words. And so I want to close with this today. The time is coming. It's God's decree. When God's city will be rebuilt. Rebuilt all the way, and I'm going to paraphrase here, from the east to the west, the north and the south, the whole valley where death has been dumped, a death valley if there ever was one. 
and all of the terrace fields out to the brook on east as far as the gate will be consecrated to me as a holy place. This city, this city will never be torn down or destroyed again. That's my prayer moving forward. That once we sort out what is meant for us, that it will never be torn down, torn down again. It will never be destroyed. Now I know I'm a realist. I mean, come on, that's never going to happen, right? We all face some hardships. None harder than this, I feel like. I'm grieving. But I'm also choosing that covenant that God is writing on my heart over anything that can be destroyed by the world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for your presence, for your spirit among us, not only today, but all days for those of us who choose to believe and choose to look and choose to hear and choose to see you. Help us when we are discouraged by the processes around us to put all of that junk aside and hear you and see you and feel you and know you the way you've intended for us. As we go out this week, may we be in prayer every single day for the state of this denomination. For the building up of a new denomination. For a vote next week that will tell us where we're going. But beyond that, beyond the politics, beyond the counting, beyond the paragraphs, may we know that you are the one sowing a new covenant in our hearts, one that cannot be broken as long as you live within us. Thank you, God, for second chances. Thank you, God, for always loving even those of us who say, Lord, I'm tired. Lord, I'm discouraged. Lord, are you sure? Bless us, O Lord, as we walk into this week prepared to see you, to feel you, to spread your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.